This is Toco U.S. Brand Manager Ian Harvey. I'm here with Caitlin Gregg. Caitlin has five American Birkebeiner wins, more than anyone in history. Additionally, she's a bronze medalist from the 2015 World Championships. This 40-year-old mother just competed in both the Berkey Skate and Classic last weekend and finished an amazing third and fourth place. This podcast is to hear about her coaching and racing from this season, especially last weekend, as well as to see how husband Brian and daughter Heidi are doing. Caitlin's a legendary figure and is also a great friend, longtime friend. So hello, Caitlin. Congratulations on an amazing Berkey weekend. I have to think that you're still feeling last weekend's double Berkey effort. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me, Ian. It's always great to catch up. Um, yeah, we we had practice early this morning and, you know, I was thinking, oh, I'll be optimistic. Maybe I'll do a couple of speeds. And uh, I, I definitely felt, well, my hip flexors definitely felt that classic uh, Berkey, but overall I'm, I'm still a little fatigued, but the weather's beautiful here. And so it's fun to get out and, and, and get to ski with, with my athletes. And so I, it kind of, you know, I tried to, I tried to not let them know how tired and exhausted I was, but they, uh, they were all psyched to, to see me out there with them doing the, doing the speeds. Super. Um, I should also mention that you came straight from practice, like just a couple minutes ago. So um, I appreciate you doing that, but that's what the ski getup's all about. This wasn't a promotional opportunity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to your glasses, for example. So I think it's yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, Kayla, I'm sure everyone would be interested in knowing how you approached your race weekend. It's not, it's a rare thing to, to go into two tough 50Ks. Um, I think a lot of people would love to hear how you approached it. Yeah. Um, so I've been working with a peaking plan that I've used for the last 10 years. I've used it for U.S. nationals. I've used it for the Olympics, for different World Cups I was targeting, for World Championships, and of course, for the Berkey. And it's been a program that I've really found a lot of success with. And so I always kind of continue to go back to that kind of four to it's three to four weeks of a specific taper plan. And so with this year being a double Berkey, um, you know, I, I, I'm always tweaking it here and there to kind of fit with whether it's, you know, currently what I'm doing in my life, um, you know, what the weather is, kind of the conditions outside and so forth, or if there's travel involved. So it's always a kind of a, a theme or a variation of a theme for that, uh, so to speak, because you always have to apply it to what you can actually do and, and benefit from. So for the double Berkey, I kind of looked at that and thought, you know, resting right now is, is, is totally... Um, the name of the game, staying sharp, being as as fresh and ready for that initial Berkey race, which is the skate race, which was my kind of priority race. And then for Sunday, I thought, you know what, let's just go out and see what happens. Let's just kind of see how the body recovers from the first session and kind of goes into the second one. So one thing that's really cool that I've done this last year, and it's from the last um, from the Berkey last year, all the way through this year is I've had my all of my training is on Strava. And so you can actually, have you done much with Strava, Ian? No, my daughter no. has it. Yeah. I just Her, like going out and skiing. I don't, I don't yeah. know. So one of the cool things though, is that I put everything in there, all of the details. And so anyone, and it's open to anyone and everyone. So if you ever, even if you don't put your own Strava account or, you know, information up there, you can always go in and you can see exactly what I did, you know, in October for a couple of weeks of training, or you can see exactly what I did you know, in the weeks prior to some big races like the Berkey. And I think that's pretty cool. And I, you know, there are definitely some athletes who, who put everything up there, but I really try to make a very, uh, very, uh, I guess, complete effort in putting all of the information out there. And so with that full year of Berkey, you know, training and Berkey prep, and then I put in little things like running with Heidi, you know, running with Heidi and the jogger or, you know, I, I can't think of all of the little things, but some of them are pretty funny or, you know, the workout didn't go well or the workout went really well or what my running paces were. I think it's really cool to be able to kind of look at all of that and say, okay, this is what, and we, we, you know, I, I mentioned this to the athletes, but then you can really kind of quantify, you know, you hear athletes train 500, 700, a thousand hours, but what does that mean in a daily sort of yeah. um, breakdown? And what does that mean, you know, in terms of like, athlete goes for a two hour run well what pace are they running and so forth and so I thought that was really cool to be able to cap you know capture all of that information and then let kind of anyone who wants to see it from wherever kind of and know and um yeah I think it's I think it's a neat tool and so for sure at some point Pearl can see it I know she's she's uh we're following each other but yeah it's kind of cool to see kind of what that taper looks like into the Berkey yeah 
So a couple of things. First, I did an interview recently with Reed Pletcher, and he was talking about when he was at CU, Matt Gelso won NCAAs before, and he said, send me your training plan. And then he did ex Matt Gelso's exact training plan the year after, thinking if he did the same thing as Matt, maybe he'd win some NCAAs. And he did, which was crazy. So it's, I'm not totally serious here, but if people want, they can follow your training plan and they can win five rookies and good to go. That's, yeah. I mean, that's exactly, that's exactly it is that it's almost, it's like almost all there, but we also talk about the, the concept of like, there is always a little bit of um, how you interpret the plan and how you execute it. Right. And so that's always kind yeah. of the little like additional, it's like following a recipe, like for, it's like following a recipe for for a meal or for, you know, for baking, but there's always those little components that will, you know, one person follows a recipe to make great bread and the other person follows the same recipe, but like the bread doesn't come out and you're like, well, I don't understand. I just followed the recipe, but there's always those little details that are in there that are kind of important to, to, to follow as well. And, you know, that's the, that's the basic stuff like sleep, yeah. nutrition, all of those things matter too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, a piece of the puzzle that's fun to look at. So a couple yeah. points, um, I've seen a lot of questions flying around social media regarding this double Berkey weekend. A lot of people were marveling at how it was possible for the athletes to have skied so fast for so long, two days in a row. Um, I just wanted to talk with this, uh, with you about this briefly. So one aspect of tapering, I think a lot of people think of tapering, they're thinking about reducing your volume so you feel more rested. There's another aspect of that before a big event, and that would be storing, increasing your glycogen stores. Is that? Yep. You want to yep. talk about that just for a second? Yeah. Because that's a, that's yeah. a key element when we're talking about double Berkey weekend. Or it is a very key element. Exactly. Is that you want to make sure that you are, um, when you taper, you reduce your volume. We do maintain some frequency. And so we try to, you know, get out. If we've been doing double sessions, we might do a shorter session in the morning and then even a short session in the afternoon. And so you don't want to completely stop your training, but you want to kind of maintain a routine and kind of maintain your body moving and kind of not just completely kind of like going into relaxation mode, I guess is what I best describe it as. But in that same, um, in that same realm, we want to make sure that we're always, you know, using sports drink. We're recovering immediately after each session, no matter how small or how short it is with, you know, with good food and good fluids and good carbohydrates so that our glycogen stores remain absolutely full. And one of the things we really focused on with my group of athletes, we had about, I'd say 12 athletes at the Berkey this year. And so for my group of athletes, one aspect that we really focused on was just to your point, the feeding at the Berkey. And so it became an enormous uh, component with the double Berkey is that if you didn't feel feed well in the first Berkey, you bonked really, really hard, it was going to be hard to come back in that second Berkey and feel good. And so really the key is, is feed early and feed often. And so when we say feed, we mean, you know, taking in a sports drink, taking goos, making sure, you know, you have a good breakfast before the race, making sure that you're staying hydrated and you're keeping those glycogen stores nice and, and filled. And one of the things I really mentioned to the athletes is that in my experience with the Berkey, I can tell the athletes who aren't feeding during the race, who are kind of like focused on, oh, I just got to maintain contact and I can't, I can't stop and take this goo or take this, you know, feed bottle. I just got to keep charging. And they're always the ones that if it comes down to a sprint are, are struggling to, to get that last kind of bit of power. And so you want to make sure that you're, you're, you're feeding and you're well um, hydrated so that you have that finishing kick. And in the men's race, the women's race, it came down to a sprint this year. In the men's race, it was a pretty big pack sprint. So that can that can make or break your your result right there. Yeah, and this kind of stuff, there's no mystery. You know, it's math, more or less. If, yep, you know, exactly. Energy's exactly. going out. So no energy in means you're going to have a deficit, you know? Yep, it's just a that's question exactly of what I told time. It's pretty simple. Yep, yep. I, I outlined it. I said, here's what you guys are burning. Here's what you guys can, you know, here's what your body can absorb and refill. But if you're not replenishing, it's it's not going to be there after two hours. It's going to be tough to pull from nothing. So, yep. And I told them nobody gives an award for not drinking during the Berkey. <laughs> We're not taking exactly. In any liquids. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's another two other aspects to this that I think are somewhat overlooked. One is when, especially master skiers or you know your your average uh, Berkey participants, when they train. I think it's fair to say in general, master skiers don't train enough because of course they got other things going on. And when they do train, they train pretty fast. And pre preparing for something like the Berkey, you wanna train, you know, wanna do a lot of long, slow distance type training. And one of the goals is to become more efficient in your fat burning and more efficient as an athlete. And 
And so some of these people, they're looking at what you did this last weekend and they're saying, how is that possible? Your engine is running very efficiently compared to their engine. You want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And and you nailed it. I, I coach a number of master's athletes who were really targeting the Berkey. And the biggest thing that we discussed and the most fundamental thing that I really emphasize is you need to go slower in your distance training. We'll have the intervals, but like, you know, you're, you're no matter what the, you know, no matter what the, um, what the urges or what the kind of the feel good kind of speed that you want to do when you get done and you're like, oh, that was a good session. You got to go way slower than that. Um, and so we really talk about kind of why and physiologically why and what you're trying to accomplish to your point, which is again, increasing that ability for your body to burn, to kind of spare the glycogen and to burn a higher percentage of fats so that you can use that glycogen when you need to at the end of the race. And so that it's not being just completely burned off in the first you know, 30 K or so, and that you have that extra 20 K worth of energy. So that's something that I think is, it's a hard concept to really, um, to really kind of trust that it's okay to go this slow, because if you, you know, for a lot of people, uh, it feels like it's too slow and they're like, I can't believe this. And so sometimes we'll do what I call like, you know, lactate testing, we'll do kind of lactate spot checks. And that kind of helps them again with some of the more of the science behind it and, you know, and, and saying like specifically, this is your body and where it's burning and what energy sources it's burning right now. And if you train at this level, you actually are teaching your body that that's what it should do. And then in the Berkey, when it comes from the race, it's going to be like, Oh, we know what to do. We burn a lot of glycogen from the get go. And so hence that's what happens. And then they have a, a less than ideal experience. So you nailed it. That's exactly what we really emphasize with them. But bottom line is you increase your efficiency to the point that instead of your glycogen stores during the event lasting an hour, an hour and a half, they last for two hours. Exactly. And who doesn't want that? That's right. the, end of the game, right? Yep, exactly. And another aspect of this that you touched on a few times is nutrition. Um, in this day and age, everyone's talking about no sugar, no sugar, no sugar, et cetera, et cetera. Well, there's this glycogen window. After you do a workout, you have a half hour, within half an hour is ideal, but within two hours, you can replenish your body will replenish glycogen stores used in working out. And, and that's what four parts carbohydrate to one part protein. Is that still yep. the formula? And, yep. if, and if you focus on doing that, then you can eat low sugar or getting your, getting your carbohydrates and vegetables and such otherwise. Yep. But, if, but if you don't replenish your glycogen stores, then you're going to get massive sugar cravings and have those empty legs feeling. And then you're going to have a, yep. you know, uh, this um, late evening trip to the supermarket, getting some junk food because you don't feel right. You know, all these yep, weird yep. things going on. The nutritional aspect of training, especially for long races and, and preparing for an event like the Berkey, you need to train your metabolism such that you, you ingest carbohydrate and some protein immediately after workout so you can cl eat clean otherwise yep. and continue to be fat burning. That's exactly that's, that's another really key as, aspect to preparing for the Berkey. It's a long-term nutritional commitment. Is that fair yep. to say? I would hundred percent agree with that. And in some cases, you know, Brian and I really talked with our athletes this year and we really emphasize that you can, you can even use specific sessions, specific training sessions. Like we did, um, it was virtual this year, but we did the virtual city of Lake Slope. And we said specifically to the athletes, we want you to use all of the nutritional kind of components of what you're expecting to do for the Berkey in, in that same uh, race. And the same with the Mora Vasalopa. We practice everything from, the other thing that gets really overlooked is when you're in the Berkey and you're going hard, uh, you need to, or you're in a tight pack, you need to be able to access your drink or you know your, your goose. And how do you do that efficiently? How do you do that effectively? And how do you do it so that it's not cumbersome and you say, ah, I don't want to deal with it. I just want to stay on this person that I'm following, you know, got a good rhythm. You want it to be seamless. And so we really practice all of that because again, practice is what creates a, a habit and what makes it, yeah, makes it important. And so all of my athletes have definitely heard me say exactly what you're saying in terms of getting the recovery in immediately after the session, making sure that while they're in the session that they're using sports drink or they're making an appropriate, especially if it's a hard interval session, um, the right mixtures of sugars so that they're staying fast. And Brian emphasizes this a lot with the guys that if you go out and the girls that if you go out and you do an OD session and you just start to kind of get a little bit low in glycogen and you start to kind of transition, that's fine. But if your speed starts to decrease way too much, you lose the overall training effect, which is how do we maintain the speed for a longer period of time? So 
yeah, it's definitely things to think about, not just the week before the Berkey, not just the night before the Berkey, not just during the Berkey, but a ways out. So, yep. Basically need to convert yourself into a fat burning animal. Yep. Yep. Long before the Berkey in order to be able to be fat burning. And that's done through nutrition. It's done through training. Yep. Yeah. Um, how many days before Saturday did you do your last interval workout? It's a great question. We, um, we did our last interval session on Wednesday morning before the Berkey. That, that's my go-to is, is yep. two days of easy skiing or whatever you want to call it before the main event. So Wednesday yep. for Saturday. Yep. And, and uh, my, my thinking is when you do a workout like that, it's a great time to kind of change the oil as ter in terms of your glycogen. So you yep. almost deplete your glycogen because you can burn it so quickly in those intervals. And then you make absolutely positively sure right after that workout, especially you're loading up completely in terms of yep. getting it, replenishing that glycogen. That's a exactly. key, key opportunity, right? Yep. That's exactly it. And we had a really fun, we do our intervals together as the group um, pretty much every, you know, every session. Um, but we really emphasized for that particular workout that we, we had um, each athlete took a lead on the intervals. And what that did was we, we forced ourselves to, um, to really kind of ski in a pack and maybe in a, at a pace that was either too fast or too slow than what we really, really wanted to kind of do. But it kind of forced us to sort of think, and we, I, I, I told the athletes they have to feed during the interval session, same kind of thing. Mm. And so we had a group of four or five girls really in tight quarters, right. And trying to get feed bottles out and trying to like, you know, navigate different. Um, we actually, we had a tax in there. So we did some, um, like little 15 second bursts of speed to kind of like simulate like, you know, a sprint for a preem or something like that. And we would have the person who was leading the interval kind of dictate that it wasn't like a set time or anything. And so everyone's a little bit on their toes and kind of like ebbing and flowing. And I thought that was really great because um, the athletes said, you know, a lot of them, it was their first Berkey. And they said that really helped them feel comfortable when they got to the Berkey and kind of understanding pack dynamics a little bit more and kind of what, you know, what's going to happen there in terms of sort of going fast and slowing down and navigating drinking bottles and stuff. So, yeah. Mm, super. I, it yeah. sounds like um, some teams you can tell or training groups are very well-trained and prepared. You know, they, they become race savvy. Yep. And that's how exactly he become race savvy by doing simulations and drawing attention to certain concepts that are so important. So yep. kudos. That's great. Sounds really Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really fun. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what did you do for feeds at the Berkey this year? That's, that's a really good question. It was a little bit unknown what we were going to be able to access for feeds because of some of the restrictions. And so we really couldn't nail that down until the day before. So we had a couple different thoughts and um, ideas that would come into play. And so there's a couple different feed options. Um, I personally use uh, a drink belt like this with a, like a water bottle carrier. And um, I really, this one has a Velcro strap on it, which I really like. Brian used, I don't have it here, but he used a pack that's like a, um, a camel back on his, on his waist with a hose. Yeah. And then there's, of course, your kind of traditional backpack, really light, thin backpack with a camelback style. And so we really, you know, we we're looking at some different options and what kind of the pros and cons of all of them were. And so with a bottle, the one thing is, is that you typically go through more than a bottle's worth of feed. At least I do more than a bottle's worth of liquid. And so you need that replenish and um, what would we have access to? And so we we're really grateful because there was an opportunity for us to have coaches or support crew out on the trail with that replacement bottle. And so that's my go-to because I actually, to your point about the nutrition, I actually change the amount of um, both sugar and caffeine and electrolytes in my drink throughout the race. And so I make a pretty concerted effort. As the race goes, it becomes more concentrated? Yep. As it goes, it becomes more concentrated and the caffeine level increases. And so it's sort of a, a specific, um, almost reverse taper, if you will. And so that to me was really important. But Brian, on the other hand, he does the same uh, drink mix in his pack. He had it around his waist the whole time. And he might have like a, a we use Coke feeds out there for kind of a sugar caffeine burst at the end. He might use that at the very end, but he likes to just have that consistent same um, same mix that he has all, all year, um, all year, every session, he just likes to, to keep it the same. And then he has some goose on him. Um, and so 
we were really lucky that I could get those bottles switched out. Um, Brian really liked using his pack. And then for the classic race, um, I really wanted to try using a camelback. And I thought that was great because then on the downhills, it's a little harder for me in classic because in skating, you can grab your bottle and drink, or you can kind of, um, yeah, you can reach for a bottle and you can keep free skiing, right? I can, I can stand up free ski, take a drink, put it in the back and keep kind of the momentum going. Whereas in classic, unless you're on a really good kind of long downhill where you have a big break and you can kind of stop and pull your bottle out and put it back in. The problem with this year was it was pretty slow going if you, if you noticed. And so you didn't get much of a break on the downhills really. And so I was really grateful that I had switched to that kind of camelback system where I could keep drinking um, throughout, which was nice so that, you know, I could keep almost striding and drinking at some points, which was helpful. Uh, and then for goose, I get pretty creative. I like to have my goose when they're um, warm, you know, some people put them under their bibs and I certainly had one under my bib. Um, you know, some people tie them to their water belts. I actually like to put them right here in my suit. And what I find that that does is one, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty annoying because it kind of hits you um, a little bit in the, in the wrist. And it kind of reminds you like, if you want that annoying part to go away, you should probably eat that goo, which I think is a good thing. And two, it keeps it warm. And so one of the things that's really hard, especially when the weather drops, is if you have sort of a goo that's just rock solid. I mean, no, nobody, nobody wants to fiddle with that. They just want to take it and have it be done with. And so, um, so that was one, uh, one other little tip that I gave my athletes that they really liked. Um, yeah. And so, uh, so that's our, that's how we did our feeding for, for the Berkey. And that worked out really well. There's some um, new components this year with a new course. And so we often use kind of the traditional, you know, for us, it kind of goes fire tower, Bodecker, double O. And then kind of, I think what was easier was that we then turned around and we came back through Bodecker and fire tower. And then there's timber trail too, but we didn't have anyone at timber trail. So like, it was kind of nice in a way because in a traditional brick, you're still, you're kind of always like leapfrogging yeah. uh, down towards Hayward. And so this was, I think even maybe a little bit more, more relaxing for, for the people that were supporting us with the feeds, which is nice. Sure. Yeah. Um, one thing I've done in the past, I, I like the bottle method more than the Kilmback method for changing the concentration, but also um, I've, I mean, I think we've all had a, a line, the tube freeze on us before and never again, you know? So if, if it was below a certain temperature, you know, you can use the foam thing with the cap cover and this and that, but it's never again, you know? You're racing a, a darn race with weight added underneath your bib and you can't get the damn thing off and you can't drink, you know? Totally, so, 100%. So I've, I've left water bottles for myself on the course. You know, I go out early because they're not, even if they freeze, you can unfreeze them. Yeah. So. You know, you're thinking, okay, someone's going to probably move this bottle. So, but if I leave three of them at different places, I'm going to get a couple of them, you know, <laughs> I've been hey, I, races, you know, like the rendezvous two lap race and stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I've, I've done that. I did the Berkey in 2014. It was the Olympic year and Brian and his family were all in, in Sochi at the Olympics. And I was like, well, that was all of my feet. You know, everybody was gone. I was like, well, that was my feeding group. Um, and so what I did was I drove to traditionally Mosquito Brook is a really big place to get a, a feed. And so I found one person, I think, to get it at double O um, to get one. And I was like, I really want this one at Mosquito Brook, but nothing is guaranteed. So I, yeah, I kind of skied out a little ways to your point away from where anyone would see it and kind of like pick it up or something. Yeah. And I just said, okay, I'm going to put it in this one spot and remember that. And, uh, and again, I went through the whole thing of like, if it freezes, I'm going to like, oh, you know, kind of like open it and get it anyway. And that was, that was key. And that was a big part of what I was able to, yeah, to do well that year was because I had that last feed there. And Mosquito Brooks, a survival feed, right? That's the, it is. that's your it insurance is. feed. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's a kind of an important one, I'd say for me. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that if was you're going to be there in the finish, the Mosquito Brook feed is to ensure that you're you remember your name at the finish, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, cool. yep. Well, uh, you want to do a little pay-by-play, -play, a little Berkey story? How'd the, how'd the race unfold on Saturday? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I actually had a really unique, um, a really unique night before. I actually haven't had this for a long, long, like I was thinking like 14 years or something like that, but I had an absolute restless night of sleep. I could not fall asleep until 2.30 in the morning. And it was like one of those things where I was like, I was just, I couldn't figure it out. Brian was just completely passed out. Heidi was completely passed out. And I was like, 
thinking like, what, what is going on? Am I this nervous? And I was, you know, I was like, this hasn't happened. And I've been to some big races, you know, in the last couple of years, like I was just kind of completely beside myself. I felt like I was ready to start the race. And so I didn't fall asleep until two 30 and then got up at five 30. And so I'll tell you if we figured out what happened, but anyway, so at five 30, the alarm goes off and we get ready. And I was like, I'm pretty tired right now. And Brian is very cute. And he was like, you know, on the, on the drive to the start, he's like, you know, it, this is what Heidi's been training us for, for the last couple of years. We're good. We know how to go without any, without any sleep. And I was like, that, that is exactly true. Thank you, Heidi. And so Yes, Heidi supported me there. I actually was like, you're right. This is like no big deal. And so uh, so we get to the start and I'm still a little bit groggy, but like my body felt good. But it's just that little bit in my mind, you know, I was like, I just don't feel super sharp right now. I don't feel like, but I said, you know what? I'm going to go out there. I didn't tell any of my athletes because I didn't want them to get nervous. And so we've got all the athletes and we've got all the skis. And, you know, that's the one thing that's unique now is that when we're coaching a group, we're, you know, we're, we're helping support all of them at the same time as we're getting ready for the race. And so, you know, we're helping them figure out, okay, here's where you can warm up. Here are your race skis, you know, make sure you have your bibs, make sure, you know, you put everything. There were some specific requirements for your warmups to go in a, you know, in a bag that had to get out of the start for kind of COVID safety. You know, there's a lot of things there was ski testing with, um, for florals going on. And so there's a lot of different pieces, which, you know, at some point is, it's kind of nice because it helps distract me from the fact that I'm so tired that I have all of these things going on and I'm like, you know, just trying to get them through. And so we get to the start line and everybody's, everything was perfect and seamless. You know, it was, it was well, well organized. We get to the start line and I was like, oof, I'm, I'm pretty tired here. I don't know what's going to happen. And I thought, you know what? It's okay. I'll just, I'll just sit in the race and I, I won't lead too much. I'll just kind of like relax. Well, I always think that. And then I always get into the race and I'm always so excited. I'm always like, well, and my skis were running great. And so I kind of sat back for the first part. Um, but then, uh, you know, my big thing that I like to do is kind of see how my skis are running on the, uh, power lines. And so what I usually do is I usually go out and I go out, you know, pretty hard, but I kind of sit back around fourth or fifth. Then we get to the power lines. I like to watch how the other girls skis are gliding. And I actually felt like my skis were, were, were incredibly fast. Like I thought, okay, I picked the right pair of skis. I feel like we're, we're on the right, you know, we're on the right wax. Like, this is good. This is really good. And, uh, I always notice in the end of the power lines is the first preem, And I always sort of notice who jumps and who goes for the preem. And so this year it was Elena and I thought, okay, Elena's feeling good. Like if you're going for the preem, you usually feel pretty good and pretty confident. And I was like, Oof. okay, so Elena went for the preem and then we all kind of came back together. And, uh, you know, I, Rosie Frankowski was up there in the mix and then Erica Flowers was also kind of in the mix. And then there's always, you know, those are in my mind, those are sort of the known entities that have done the Berkey before. And then there was a whole group of new athletes. And so you have Hannah Rudd and you have Ingrid Thier and you have, you know, Lauren Jortberg and you have some new, um, some new faces in the crowd. Uh, uh, you know, even from Sun Valley, we had Kate Feldman, who's been really strong in the Berkey before. And then, but we had Sarah Goble. And so there's just, there's always, you know, little bits and pieces that I'm trying to kind of pay attention to and absorb. And so the first, um, so after that first preem, we, we kind of had a pretty big pack and we were traveling on the way to double O and um, it really felt like we weren't really separating the pack out much, which kind of changes from year to year. Some years it feels like the pack kind of breaks apart really quickly. And some years it just feels like it doesn't. And so on the way to double O, we really wasn't breaking apart that much. Although I could sense on the climbs that we were sort of losing some girls off the back. Like I could kind of look back at the top and say, okay, a couple are struggling. And so at double O, I thought, you know, I'm kind of, I get to a point where I'm like, you know, I kind of want to see if we could pick it up a little bit and kind of make the pack a little bit smaller. I kind of like it when, you know, there's just, a, it's, I call it like lower liability because anything can happen in a pack, right? You try to get a feed and you break a pole. And then in some ways you're kind of out of the race if you don't have a pole for a certain amount, just in the nature of the, you know, the distance between the, the poles that are available. And so I was like, you know, I think I'm going to go for a little bit of a, of a, of an attack on double O. So I went pretty hard up double O. And again, I was sort of keeping in the back of my mind, who's going to go for this preem at the top of double O. And I was in a good position and I felt Rosie kind of come on my left. And so I moved a little bit left, but then Elena came on the right. And so she got the, the second preem and I thought, oh man, 
I do not want Elena, Elena around at the finish line. She is, she's feeling good and she's feeling peppy. And so on the way around the below on the, on the backside, now going back, I kind of thought, okay, now is the time it's, you know, I look back and the pack had been kind of broken apart and I thought now's the time to go. And so I did a little bit of an attack there and only four girls were able to kind of stay within the, the group there. So then it was down to myself, Rosie Frankowski, Elena, and um, Kate Feldman. And so at that point I thought, okay, so this is the crew. So we were cruising and I moved over and I let another athlete lead and uh, they sort of slowed it down, which is a tactic is like, you don't necessarily want to burn all your matches out there by leading. Mm -hmm. And I kind of got nervous and this is me getting nervous as the 40 year old now coming out. This is my 40 year old nervousness coming out, coaching, no sleep coming out. I turned around and I was like, oh, they're, they're definitely catching us again. And I was like, I don't want to work any harder than have the group catch us. And so I said, you know, they're catching us. And thankfully um, Rosie got to the front and started just hammering. And so, uh, you know, and so then we kind of had this group kind of, kind of coming back towards us, then we were able to kind of hold it off and, and attack again. Um, and then we were cruising fairly hard for the next, I would say 15K. And I knew that we were getting close to kind of that like 15 to 10K to go. And, and I was thinking, ah, you know, are we gonna have like a big attack? And there were some surges on some climbs and I was able to match them. And so for me, basically what ended up happening was I, I kind of got a little bit, this is embarrassing to say, I got a little bit distracted in one of the feed zones looking for, um, looking for a feed. I just kind of got confused between fire tower and high point. And I was like looking for my feed. And at the last second I got offered a feed from Andy Newell and I grabbed the feed and I thought, oh, this is going to be, you know, this is great. And I looked up and the girls were gone and I was like, oh my goodness, I should have, I should have just stayed paying closer attention and I totally missed it. So I sprinted and I caught them and right when I caught them I actually, it was at the high point. So it was like just a little after fire tower, it was a pretty big climb and I caught them. And there I had my actual feed bomb and I thought, well, we still have like 13K to go. I should really, to your point of the mosquito brook, I should really grab this feed. And as I reached to grab the feed, there was another attack and I was like, oh my goodness. And then it just sort of, I was just in that like, mm. just behind and I couldn't close it down. And I actually ended up reeling Kate Feldman back in but once Rosie and Elena were off the front, I was like, oh. And so I have to be honest. I mean, I was able to ski in strong and feel good the whole way. I'm not sure that I was in the same shape or, uh, or fire, like had everything firing to be able to stay up with those girls. But man, that's what makes these races so fun is like, you just sort of are like, oh, now I know what to do for next time. Or now, I, you know, it's like, it's such an exciting and, um, you know, it like it really pushes you and challenges you in so many ways, both physically and mentally to be aware and to know. And it's like, it's just so fun to have that dynamic of like multiple people head to head at, you know, at different places and different times and then skis and feeds. And it's just such a cool, fun race. And so those girls took off and, and I just tried my best to uh, stay there and always kind of keep that mindset too, that anything can happen. Like to your point, you know, they can, they can hit a, hit a wall at, you know, 5k to go and you have to be ready. And kind of, if that happens, kind of take advantage of it. So, um, so yeah, so I was really happy to get third though. I mean, those girls are both world cup skiers with, you know, Olympian, uh, Rosie Frankowski, like very, very strong skiers. Kate Feldman has been on the podium at the Berkey. And, um, so I have no complaints overall, made some yeah, silly, yeah. silly, silly, you know, small errors, but I actually, I felt like my, my, my body did, did amazing and, and held up quite well. It is amazing when you're not the strongest person out there, losing contact, you know, it, it's fairly, you, you can be fine in that little pack, you lose contact, it's it's a whole different, it's like the, it's like the conditions slow down or something. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's a crazy it's sensation. Yeah. It is a crazy sensation. And yeah, and there's, it, this year was really, was really, um, you know, it was all new because again, it was a new course. And so, you know, none of us really knew how it was going to ski at that speed or what was going to happen with the pack and how do you navigate that. And so one of the things that, I mean, I knew this was a potential possibility is that the girls might, they might've only been 20, you know, at one point I heard of split of 20 seconds ahead of you and yet I couldn't see them. And so mentally for me behind, and I knew this was a thing for the girls behind me too, is that 
you know, if you can't see someone, you're like, oh, they're like minutes ahead when really they're just kind of around the next turn. But as soon as you get to that turn, they're around the next turn or over the next hill. Yeah. Um, there's a couple longer, straighter climbs where I could just see them at the top, but that's hard to reel them back in for sure. Once you have that deficit and they're working together, you're it's yeah, it's a, that, that's, that's part of it though. That's pretty fun. So, yeah. Well, we're at the halfway point here in terms of the, the double Berkey weekend. How did, how did, what did you do for recovery between the two events? Yeah. So recovery for me is a little bit different again for Brian and myself than for, for, um, for maybe some of the other athletes who are doing the double because we come home and, um, you know, Heidi, Heidi, we're really grateful. Um, our, we, we stay at a place called Crest Hill Resort. And so we call them our host parents. They've actually been big supporters of ours for a long time. Brian lived there when we were the CXC days, we did camps out of there. And so um, our host parents, uh, Kay Wilson, this is Scott Wilson's wife, offered to watch Heidi during the races. And so, um, you know, Heidi doesn't know what we just did. So we come home and she's psyched to see us and she's like, let's play. <laughs> so you come home and she's, you know, she's a bundle of energy and Kay did a great job of, of keeping her active and keeping her um, having fun. But, you know, she's like, let's play. But again, we've had practice with this many times. And so, you know, you, you entertain, you entertain the toddler and you, you, you know, you have fun and enjoy her. And I actually think it's, it's a really good part of the recovery, right? You kind of take your mind off of the skiing and you have a good, good time. But again, we make sure we get home. We get a great, a huge lunch after that first race, huge lunch, um, made sure, you know, got hydrated, you know, immediately, even before we got back, you, you start like to your point refueling, you know, as soon as you, as you finish and, um, in the car ride home, then you get home and we, you know, we change, we take a shower, we make sure that we are completely, um, doing all of the right things to recover so that the next race is the best possible race. Um, you know, for the next day, we actually kept it pretty simple. We only prepped one pair of skis each. Um, we just, you know, it's still a little bit unknown what sort of the testing opportunities were going to be for testing different skis or kick wax and so forth. And so we really wanted to kind of just streamline things and keep things as simple as possible. And that all worked out fantastic. We both felt like, again, we had great skis and, um, you know, it was, it, it was the same for everyone. It wasn't like it made a big deal, but for us, it just kept it simple with, you know, with everything we had going on. And that was the name of the game. And so we had our athletes and um, the, our athletes only did one race. They're a little bit younger. Some are still in college. Some are uh, just out of college, but you know, their big goal race was the Berkey. And so it was really fun because that next day they all cheered for us. So we got them lined up with feeds and support and so forth. And and that was, that was kind of a, that was one of the highlights of my race was, was getting the ski by all the athletes I coach and have them cheer for me. And that was, that was pretty cool. Um, hey, so, I, have a question. I have a comment. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we were talking about recovery between the events and you mentioned taking a shower. I think that's, that's a really important element after many workouts, but especially between two races like that, it's so common for people to go hours after a race and not shower and kind of, and I don't know what it is specifically, but it, Taking a hot shower, getting rid of all the sweat, warming up so your body's no longer trying using energy to warm itself up, and putting on dry clothes. That's to me when the recovery truly starts. Yep. Yep. Sten, I don't know yeah. why, but it seems really important. It does. It is. I mean, uh, Sten used to always uh, talk about this in the sense that it's almost like your pores can like breathe and your body is able to, again, to your point, not have to feel like damp or cold or just sort of like grimy it kind of allows your whole system to reset you know you suddenly again are warmer you're suddenly kind of a little bit calmer you know it's the same idea when we give Heidi a, a, a bath before bedtime right it kind of like lets her relax and calm down and so it's that same concept that suddenly you come down from the race or the event and that you can kind of recharge and not still be in that state of like hyper you know hyper oh man, that was a hard effort. And I'm all kind of like energized, which is funny because you're exhausted, but you still have that energy kind of going. And so it helps you kind of reset and refocus. Yeah. But it seems like if you look at the energy equation, pre-shower, you're still in the deficit, you know, it's yes. your, your battery's draining. Yes. And post-shower, it seems like the, the switch has been flipped and then it's going in the other direction, even though, yes. even though, you know, it's only a couple minutes in each direction, it seems like the shower somehow changes that equation such that you are now regenerating as yep. depleting. That yep. seems like a very key thing and, and a very common mistake would be to wait for hours and hours and hours before taking that shower because yep. 
because you need that regeneration time. Yeah. Even, even, even if it's not two double Berkeys, even if it's like a college race weekend or a GMQ weekend, jumping in the shower instead of screwing around for four hours after a race. Yep. I think that makes a big difference with the second race. Yep. And we talk about that too. Like if we, a good example is like if we did a, an event up in Houghton, for instance, and after the event, our, you know, our goal was to drive home and it's an eight hour drive. You finish the event, you're tired. You're like, oh, I got to pack everything up. I'll just shower when I get home. Oh my goodness. I mean, we, we make it very important that you get home and you shower and you, you know, you reset everything before you get in the car and drive home, you know, and even if it's a short drive, it's tempting to say, oh, I'll just do it when I get home. But if you have the option to say, and we always make a point to get a late checkout so that we can get that shower in before we drive home. That's the really, I agree a hundred percent. Even if it's a short shower. Yeah. You know, yeah. It have to be this, just, you know, marathon steam bath. No, yeah. exactly. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's all a part of it. Yep. Well, let's, let's, yeah. let's return to Sunday's event. You're blown okay. by, you're getting cheered on yeah, by your so athletes and you're loving that. Sunday was, I mean, in general, just epic is the only word that comes to mind. Um, it was actually really fun. You know, it's been a while since I've had some, some such an epic race like that. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a fun reminder that this is winter and, you know, anything can happen. And so we knew the snow was predicted. Uh, we knew that it was potential to be quite a bit of snow, like anywhere from three to five to six inches. Um, and so in our minds, we were thinking, okay, this could be a reality. But we wake up and there's not a flake of snow in the air, not a flake of snow on the ground. And we we're like, oh my gosh, like maybe we missed something or maybe they changed something. And so, you know, we start, we start thinking, huh, that's, that's different. Maybe because it is a little bit of a shift because the tracks were pretty firm and solid. And so really at that point, there'd been a couple warm, you know, freeze thaw cycles. And so Clister would have definitely been in the mix, but we had kind of anticipated, okay, this is going to be fresh snow. It's going to be a hard wax race. And so we had, again, prepped one pair of skis to keep it simple. So there was a little moment of, huh, I wonder how my hard wax skis will do with Clister now <laughs> for 45K. Maybe we did kind of miss something. And of course, as we start driving to the start, it's like, you know, the perfect sequence it just little flakes start falling I guess it would have been more perfect if we had all waxed with clister and started and then they came but the little flakes started coming and you know and we thought oh you know it's kind of nice little snow in the air and so the hard wax was was working great and so we get on the start line and it's snowing a bit harder now and uh and we start the race and my skis feel great it looks like a lot of people have really great skis and we're skiing and my whole goal for the next day was oh man classic I love classic skiing. I absolutely love it, but I'm not nearly as good at classic skiing as skating. And I, I know that. And, and I, you know, I know that Rosie and Elena are amazing classic skiers. And so my goal for Sunday was just try to hold on as long as possible. I'm not going to be much help in, for them in terms of working. And so I just try to hold on. And so, um, so we get out there and it starts snowing a little, little more, a little more. And Elena is leading through the fresh snow now that's fallen in the track. The guys have gone out. So she has a little bit of a path, but it's really kind of starting to come down more. So she's still kind of plowing, mm -hmm. you know, there's five minutes between the men and women, but she's still sort of plowing a little bit of snow out of the way. And so she, she led for a good, maybe 9K or so. And she pulls over. And so when she pulls over to say next person lead, uh, Rosie goes ahead and I was like, I don't think you want me to go here. I'm just, I'm already holding on as much as I can in a classic race. Like, this is not good. And Elena's like, no, 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 you should go. And I was like, I'm, this isn't good. So Rosie gets a little gap on us. And I'm, I'm absolutely like, I'm just redlining it. And I'm like, this is so hard for me to stay up with you girls. Your girls are so good. And so amazing thing, like one of the more amazing things I've seen is Elena then closing the gap to Rosie. I mean, she, like, it was a preem just hammered and was able to pull Rosie back in and then at that point you know I kind of turned around to Kate and I was like Kate I'm sorry I'm like literally going as fast as I can if you want to go you need to go now and she was like no we got this and so she actually got in front of me and kind of pulled me up a little bit and uh and that was really cool and I was skiing behind Kate and I was like you're you're skiing awesome girl you should you should go and she was really sweet and really encouraging I mean everybody was really nice but I just yeah she was she was just so like, in, I don't know. She was very like, you got this. And I don't know, that meant a lot to me because I didn't feel like I had that. But uh, but then the snow really started coming down. Like we're talking big fat flakes. And so we're plowing through the snow and 
And by the time we get to double O, it's like you you can't really see like there's some tracks in the snow, but it's really hard to even find where the tracks have been and where the guys have gone. And on the backside, I mean, there were times where you couldn't see out of your glasses, you know, you're doing the whole trick of like, you know, my glasses are like icing and like there's snow in my eyes and you're like, this is just like craziness out here. And, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is like one of those like survival like tracks, you know, you just, you feel like you're just out and you don't see anybody for so long and you're like, what is going on? And so slowly we started catching some more of the elite men and they provided a little bit of kind of breaking ground for the, for the tracks. But I mean, the flakes were so big. We were here, I would hear, I'd come through a feed station and they'd say, you know, the elites, the, the, the top people are in the snowmobile track. Well, I'd look over at the snowmobile track and Rosie was so far ahead with the snowmobile that by the time I got there, the snowmobile track was filled in just as much as anything else. And so I'm like, there's like, I was like, oh, I don't know about this. And so um, it was, it was epic. And I was really lucky my skis didn't ice. Um, you know, my energy, my energy felt good. I just wasn't able to hold on to those girls at that pace. And again, once you lose contact, you kind of end up in a little bit of no man's land. And so, um, yeah, it's been really fun to go back and look at the video though, and just sort of see everything and, and, and hear from, uh, from Brian about how the men's race really kind of shifted and moved around a lot, which is really, really fun and uh, exciting. And so, you know, I was fourth overall, which I'm very happy with. Again, those girls are all amazing athletes and great striders. And for the double work, you know, double Berkey and double parent, that was the other thing that we sometimes Brian and I kind of chuckle at is that, you know, it's really great when you have a supportive spouse who wants, you know, wants to help you at the Berkey and, you know, help you do the little details and so forth. And we, we've gotten a lot more behind the scenes footage in the last little bit that we're going to be sharing on our team, Greg and, and kind of Facebook sites. Um, but I think it's pretty fascinating because if you watch us in the mornings, getting ready for a race, I mean, we have a toddler there and we're both trying to get our, you know, we're both nervous and getting our stuff on and trying to help her, you know, it's just, it's kind of a, a fun little, a fun little scene. And so we were really psyched with how we did uh, the two of us racing and competing. And yeah, we were, both absolutely exhausted at the end and same thing come home and Heidi's like all right time to go sledding (laughs) (laughs) of course it is yep we got you we got we got this so yeah that was great so so Brian finished seventh in the skate race on Saturday and an amazing fourth on Sunday in the class yeah um what is his schedule like in the before the racing season his weekends are his big training days yeah but now that you're racing on weekends how is it when how and when does he get his training in yeah so brian works full-time as a financial advisor um he absolutely loves what he does he um has been he he's been wanting to be a financial advisor financial planner for as long as i've known him which goes back to 2006 so we're talking 14 years ago and so it's been kind of his goal and what he's been focusing on um so he did some he it was amazing so when he retired officially from full-time racing in 2018 obviously we're we're still racing he uh he did a podcast on a faster skier and um uh, a guy named craig rudd who is uh hannah rudd athlete from bsf's father and he thought you know this guy seems very passionate about this i you know i'd like to talk to him about it and so brian um ended up getting a job with craig and craig sort of brought him in and and taught him, you know, taught him the ropes. And Brian was training. This was when I was pregnant. He was, uh, he was working for Craig then, and he was studying for all of his exams because there's a number of exams you have to get like the series 66 and uh, some different licensing uh, exams. So he was going to school in the evenings and, uh, and it was just incredible to watch him juggle it all. And so now he's working. So he works, typically he, he works from about 10 to six. So he'll come out in the early morning, he'll get out at seven and he'll train and he'll train for a couple hours. And it's great because he can come out with some of my athletes, some of my guys, and he can really push them and he can help them sort of, you know, learn about what training, you know, at that level is all about. And, um, and then he rushes home and he showers and he heads into the office and then he stays there till six. And then when he comes, you know, when he comes home, we have, we kind of, depending on the day, we might, you know, sometimes what we do as a family is kind of how we work is we go, we do some kind of fun afternoon exercise. Sometimes we have strength with the athletes. And so Heidi comes along with us and uh, 
she's rip-roaring around the strength room or we go for a run and so she'll come in the jogger and we'll run and then we'll maybe stop and do you know an activity maybe she gets the bike or she gets to go sledding or something like that but that's kind of how our days are structured and so we're able to we're able to get in um you know training twice a day some days and some days we're not but um but overall because we do it like as a family and it's what we love to do that really that really makes a difference um it does mean balance yeah it's not like like Absentee time, you're doing it together in balance. So that's fantastic. I think that's been the name of the game is that like both of us are able to to continue doing it because it's not we are able to kind of support each other in that role. And then likewise, Brian gets to pursue his financial planning through, you know, during the day and I'm able to do my coaching. And so we both even have other goals and other things that we're working towards. And so we're really, we're really grateful for that, for that opportunity. And I think um the biggest thing that I've mentioned to you is that we live in the most ideal location in the sense that Brian works a mile away from our house and we train at Theodore Worth, which is, you know, out our back door. Some days we can ski from our back door and that's where I coach. And so we really kind of have, have maximized the, the commute times, which again, let us do what we love to do. Cause that would, that would definitely be a game changer for us. So, um, so yeah, it's pretty incredible. It's a, uh, yeah, we, we kind of are go, go, go all the time, but we also love it. So, yeah. yeah. So you kind of already gave a, a bit of an update on Heidi, but um, how's she enjoying the outdoor lifestyle? Oh my goodness. Yeah. So we've said that, you know, she can, she can do whatever she wants. She doesn't have to be a skier. Mm-hmm. Um, she tends to honestly be gravitating more towards like singing and music. I mean, you just kind of see, I know that's something that kids her age are into anyway, but she definitely, that seems to be her own thing that she really has already uh, decided she enjoys. Um, And so we just say, you know, you have to come along until you can uh, drive your own car and uh, go, go the opposite way. (laughs) This is what you're going to be doing with us. And so she, she actually has been, um, we've been really lucky and she's been at every single race that we've ever done. She's been there, you know, she's been probably even if not like this weekend at the Berkey where she actually stayed back at the, at the cabin where we are staying. Um, she's usually even at the venue. And so she's just sort of immersed in it. You know, we have a really cool ski contraption that we can bring her with us. Um, it's called a kid runner. So it's super lightweight ski polk, if you will. And so that's been really key. And so that's almost perfect because if Brian is pulling Heidi, he's pretty much exactly the same speed as I am. And so that's another way that we can do it as a family. It's kind of like, he gets a really good workout and I, you know, I get a a good workout in and Heidi comes along. And so I think though, starting her out from the get go in that has really, you know, from yeah, a couple months old has really made a difference. uh, Cause she, that's just what she knows is normal now. This is just what we do. And so that's been, that's been key. Um, And so, yeah, so Heidi's doing awesome. She's full on toddler now, like, you know, two years old, running and talking up a storm her favorite word at the moment is no but that's that's kind of normal you know that's totally normal um she's obviously been out skiing a bit and you know and she she thinks it's fun we got we helped get some of her little her little what i would call similar age buddies you know little skis so they all can kind of rip around on the skis together which is super cute um and uh, yeah, it's just so fun and so crazy to watch her develop and learn at all the different stages and, and what they do. She's like singing the ABCs now and you're like, holy cow. It's, it's, it's just, it's like fascinating to watch what they absorb and how fast they absorb it. Absolutely. Yeah. So you, you mentioned coaching a few times. Um, you coach a number of different teams or levels, including private, but also within the LNR network. Um, I'm, I've been... I've mentioned this in a number of podcasts and discussed with other people this year, but I think when LNR gets into high gear and the high performance team after COVID and, yeah. uh, and, and you, you know, like the post collegiate pipeline program, like what a lot of, I think that right now LNR, although it's a massive and super successful club, when that kicks in, LNR is going to become the, the major player in the United States, in my opinion. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. We feel like, we feel like this is just such a great, um, there's just so much great opportunity here. I mean, it's a, it's a major metropolitan area, which 
you know, for our group means that we have a number of athletes, um, actually a couple of them are going to the U, uh, you know, either for undergraduate or for graduate school. Um, we have a couple athletes that have uh, just graduated who are able to find whether it's internships or jobs, you know, there's just a lot that can be offered here. Not to mention the fact that we have a, a training facility at Worth that is, you know, capable of hosting a World Cup. We have the, you know, we have the snowmaking, we have the terrain, we have a building now with a strength room. Um, I don't know if you're familiar, but we also have uh, Pioneer Midwest now has a roller ski treadmill, a fantastic roller ski treadmill. And so between that and then just the community support here too, I mean, there's so much excitement for skiing. And after, you know, after the World Cup was, was going to be here, I mean, that even increased it more so. And now, you know, I think just the, the infrastructure is here. And I think you nailed it. It's just that last final piece is, is getting a, is getting that LNR kind of high performance team off the ground. So this year was really, um, you know, I've coached the, the collegiate program in the summertime for the last four years. And, and that's been really strong. And that's sort of been an extension of athletes who, um, have been a part of LNR maybe through their high school careers as a club and then came back in the summer during college and were looking for a similar experience of supported training. And so that worked. And then now we're starting to see those athletes graduate from college and say, maybe I do want to keep skiing. I love the Midwest. I love, you know, living in, in the Twin Cities. I want to be a part of a high performance team. And so that really kind of started the energy and and kind of was the catalyst to us getting something organized and so we had a couple athletes this year who with schools um you know maybe canceling their this is colleges canceling their racing season and some athletes saying i'm going to take the year off or maybe study um you know study or, or do distance learning uh that really opened up the the opportunity to have a number of really um dedicated high-end athletes who wanted to wanted to continue their racing and um and training full-time and so we decided that we should start something here with a high performance team and it's been it's been a great success i've been really impressed with the athletes and i think they've really had fun learning from brian and i about kind of what that level means and what that takes and they've they've really risen to the occasion and uh and so i feel like the energy is there and and we have some things kind of in motion right now starting to to take take form for, uh, for the future, which is exciting. Super. Yeah. That's one thing I think that has been sadly missing in the Midwest is that uh, high performance type, an elite team. Yeah. Since CXC stopped, pretty much when a person graduated from college, if they were a Midwestern skier, they were going east or west. And it's ironic because I think that the Twin Cities area has got the best infrastructure the places to ski are the best with the, among the best or the best in the country. You've got the best um, culture and support from the population easily. Yep. You've got um, fantastic training opportunities in the summer. And again, you've got, you've got a massive number of skiers. And it seems to me, you, Brian and Matt, for example, have done a fantastic job of mentoring skiers. But if it's part of an, of a, of an actual pyramid of a club where the young skiers and the medium skiers are, are, are being pulled up by you and then in turn pulling up other people. That's kind of like what I see in Europe, especially in Scandinavia, where you've got world champion elite skiers pulling up world, champ, world junior champion skiers who are pulling up and everyone knows that there's this established pipeline and training plan and process and way to eat and way to live. And, and they know it works because they've seen it work because their neighbor puts their pants on the same way you do kind of a thing. And you yep. Matt and Brian have done a great job of providing that example, but within the confines of an elite team, it would be that much more effective. So, and to have you as the coach is, is, is absolutely fantastic. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm waiting for the sleeping giant to, stand up and roar because i think yeah, that, that you know LNR, you know we'll, you know we'll be contacting you ian because we know <laughs> you know we want you a part of things so don't worry <laughs> that is i mean you know me i'm yeah i'm on board i'm dying to be on board i want to be on board absolutely <laughs> and i will be on board if you want me absolutely yeah oh yeah oh yeah uh, no question and uh but I'm, I'm i think it's going to be the major club in the country and if, if you fast forward 10 years i think the the bulk of the us ski team is going to be made from your alumni that's my oh, opinion that's awesome that's awesome yeah we were we were really psyched and i think you know more so than ever too um 
I think the athletes were, were really excited about their results at the Berkey. You know, it's been a weird year where there haven't been as many race opportunities and so forth. But I mean, even just in the last couple of days of practice, the, the energy from the athletes and the momentum and saying, you know, like even some athletes who graduated from college and weren't sure if they wanted to keep skiing are kind of like, oh my goodness, I think this is a possibility. And it's that combination that we offer here of, you know, it's, it's actually quite affordable to live. I mean, it's, it's expensive, but it's, but it, you can do it and you can have a part-time job and we can support, you know, that, that um, kind of that full athlete experience here. Um, but then also, you know, I think what they were, you know, we, we're very serious and we, we train really hard, but we're also, you know, we also had a really good time this year. It was a fantastic group of athletes and, and, you know, it, it, it kept everyone engaged. And there were definitely days where we, we met at early, early at seven in the morning and it's dark and it's minus 15. And, and the athletes just, I was always so impressed. They always showed up and we always had a great time. And so I think, I think that we're, we're building momentum. And like you said, I think, I think, you know, we, we've heard that there's, um, there's potentially some, World Cups on the horizon again for Theodore Worth and maybe the Berkey. And so we definitely are using that as sort of a, um, as, as a, as a major goal, you know, I'm a big one for goals. I think that you need to set goals and they need to be, they need to be lofty but, and attainable. But I mean, I think that it starts with saying, Hey, here's our goal. We want athletes from this high performance team racing at the next World Cups at Theodore Worth Park. And I think that that kind of, with that kind of concrete message it kind of gets people really excited and it feels like wait a minute I I think we could have that and that that's huge that's awesome and so that's where kind of where what we're what we're working towards right now and I agree I appreciate all of your awesome support because yeah that's that's what we're hoping for well I'm on board that's fantastic <laughs> um this weekend you've got the super CXC cup midwest regional files finals mini tour that's a mouthful you've got yes. that this weekend th uh, Friday Saturday Sunday Yep. And that's uh, at Worth, huh? Yeah, yeah. So that'll be really fun. That'll be on our home course again. That's exciting. I know Adam, you spring and some some skiers down. So perfect. Oh, Saturday, perfect. Sunday only though, not for the mini tour. Yeah, yeah. And then um, and then it looks like you and Brian are probably gonna head up to the the Great Bear Chase. Yep, yep. Um, and that'll be the end of your competitive season, I guess. Probably. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah. I think there's some other races, but we're not sure that we're allowed to to travel out of region right now. And so we're kind of trying to say, okay, well, what could be next? We um we do one big goal Brian and I have had is we we definitely want to do the bear chase, but we've always wanted to go up to the um up to the North Shore Gunflint area in the winter. It's a really unique kind of uh thing that they have tons of snow up there. It hasn't been the best snow year, so we're hoping for it, but it's kind of been on, you know, one of our goals. And we've, you know, if we've had spring nationals or maybe we've done some later spring marathons, like we've gone and done um, the races in Iceland or we've done some later races and things just, things just haven't given us this opportunity. And so we actually won um, some Hoygards, they call it the Hoygards Challenge, which gave us some lodging credit at the Bearskin Lodge up north there. And so we're thinking about heading up there and, and doing some kind of, um, you know, maybe even like a little camp with our athletes, sort of, uh, it would be the equivalent of maybe going and, you know, crust skiing up in the mountains or something like that. But, you know, they keep the snow up there. And so that will kind of probably be the end of our season. But in terms of racing, um, yeah, I think the bear chase is, is our last, is our last event. So it's kind of coming to a close here. Um, and we're trying to, yeah, we're trying to get ex athletes excited about heading up there because it's just, beautiful up there in the UP, the same thing as the Gunflint Trail, you know, they hold snow for a lot longer and it's just, it's well organized and it's just, a, it's just a blast. And uh, yeah, so for this weekend though, I have to back up a little bit, we have the mini tour. And so as part of that mini tour on Friday, uh, there's a ski cross event. And so I have to be quite honest, I'm registered, both Brian and I are registered. There's some pretty good size there's some pretty good size uh, kickers in it right now. I'm not gonna lie. Um, <laughs> I've been off them and I, I've been off them and felt comfortable, but when I'm really asking myself and, you know, this is maybe where I differ from the younger athletes with maybe a little bit more pliable bones and so forth. Um, is that like, I'm not sure it's going to be hard for me to shift from the mentality of going as hard as possible to like making sure I don't just absolutely send it off the jump to, you know, where I land in a pile at the other end. Like there's that like mental, there's going to be that mental struggle of like, go, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Now just, you know, you're 40 years old. Don't do anything silly off this, off this 
jump and uh, regret it later. So I'm still kind of on the fence about whether I'm going to do the Friday event, but we definitely have athletes like Renee Anderson is she's been, she's been hitting those jumps, like no, nothing else. I mean, every day we have to pull her off of them. She's like the little kids. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's definitely a few, few youngins that are coming as well as we just heard news that BSF is here and Elena Sonneson. So it, uh, it will be a pretty fun, uh, pretty fun little weekend, I think, and of, of racing. So I'm looking forward to that. And then we have a 10K Classic on Saturday and a 10K skate on yeah. Sunday. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. 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 Nice to have races there. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So do you have any plans for next winter? Pretty much just keep doing what you're doing, huh? Yeah. So we want to, you know, like I said, we want to really, um, you know, Brian and I are... Uh, we just love racing. So we'll continue racing no matter where the results go. We love the training. We love just, we love the lifestyle and, and it's just a part of what we, what we do. I mean, it's, you know, it's something that Brian's family is very much, you know, in, you know, everybody skis, everybody races. It's, you know, if we wake up Christmas morning and it's like, first thing is you gotta get out and ski somewhere. And, and, and that's really, you know, that's something that I think is really cool. And on the flip side, my family has adopted that. I've now had an uncle, my sister has raced the Berkey. Both of them have raced the Berkey. My uncle's come to world championships to watch. My dad contacted me and he wants, you know, he's looking for some cross-country ski gear. And so that just, you know, that means the world to me that my family is sort of like also embracing now this, this lifestyle, which is, which is cool. And of course, you know, they're in Los Angeles and New York city. So it's a little bit obscure, but, but they still, you know, they still think it's really cool and they get into it. And, and that means a lot. So we want to, you know, have it be a part of our lives forever, but in terms of like, and so we'll be racing, no question, but in terms of the elite program, you know, that's our, that's like our number one, what we're focusing on right now to kind of get organized. Um, you know, obviously Brian is involved in the sense that he wants to, you know, he's such a great team manager. He's done so much with, you know, our brand of team Greg for so many years. And so he really understands the kind of the behind the scenes work as well. And so I'll be there kind of with, you know, I, I write the training for Brian and myself. And so that'll be kind of my forte and in interacting with the athletes. And so we're really excited kind of to, again, to be mentors and bring up this next group. Yeah. And I, there's nobody better than I know of period. So I'm <laughs> thanks, Ian. Yeah, thanks. You're into that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Hey, thanks a lot for doing this interview. Yeah. Um, it's been Hopefully my pleasure catching up with you. It's been a while. Usually I run yeah. into you a lot and I haven't been able to run into you much this year. So that's a treat. Yeah. Um, good luck for the rest of winter. And I'll wait for that phone call. Uh, you, you know, I'm on board. You know it. Sounds yeah. good. All and right. Awesome. To, Ian. We love it. Hi to Brian and Heidi, of course. Of course. That's great. Yeah. Thanks, Ian. Thank you. Bye.